This is Dirt with Dermot and Paul. What's on the agenda today, Paul? The broad, huge and interesting topic of wildflowers and all there is to know about them. It is amazing because if you put pictures of a wildflower meadow, a native meadow or just a colourful meadow or a grassy meadow on Instagram and explain what's happening. It really gets people going. Instagram gold. That's what it is. Everybody loves a good meadow. So in this episode of Dirt, we're going to explain all about meadows, how to achieve them, how to plant them, how to make them, what should be in them. Yeah, basically going to give you the whole rundown of what to do, how to do it. And hopefully by the end of it, you'll be able to set about doing your own one. Dirt, a Go Loud original. Why do you have the aloe plant that we gave you last week from our houseplant special? Why did you bring it back in? Yeah, it only lasted a week. It's come from Amsterdam. It's looking well, though. To a central depot near Dublin Airport. Then it went to our shop. It stayed two weeks in the shop. Then we brought it in here. Then it went... Where did she live? Nice. Then it went down to Nice. No, it didn't go to Nice. So <gasps> um, who had the bet Pop that tickets. it would only last a week? I think that was my 50 quid. Okay, well, you almost could have been 50 quid up because <laughs> the three of us went to to head home after last well, week. Well, he didn't help. He dropped it. Well, I, yeah, but that was before I gave it as a present. Oh, yeah, no, that was beforehand. Yeah, no. that was prior. So, we, we, so it was already in shock. It was damaged. It was already in shock. Yeah. We parted ways. Paul and I had parked in Surgeons in Dublin in the car park. And oh, yeah. I went in and I paid at the pay station first, didn't I? And I propped this up on top of the pay station. <laughs> And we both got into you the lift. Did it. <laughs> we both. You've just collected it this morning. Yeah. A week later. <laughs> I had to run off. And... <laughs> Was it on still on top of the machine, or were they looking no, after it in the office? I by the time I got drove home and realised I was somewhere on the N7 when I went. Shit. <laughs> so I had to go. I had to wait till I home and look up the number for the car park and ring them and go. Hi, I left my plant again. And they're like, okay, let me just put you through to Stephen's Green now. And he was like, how are you? Yeah, your plant. Yeah, we have it here. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, can you mind it for a few days? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't really. Well, well as they didn't I was do a bad job. It's funny. I was driving in there this morning and as I was driving past the kiosk, I could see it in the window. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and I was like, brilliant. It's still there. They haven't given it away. And I thought it really jazzed up the place in there. You had a very sterile environment at the old Q Park. But very dark. And you can see that it was dark because it's not looking too happy. Well, it's not, is it? It's got a couple of brown tips there now. And it is the soil is dry. Don't mind that so much because it's a succulent. So it's storing moisture, storing its water. Oh, yeah. okay. But it's the lack of light and the tips have died back. It's looking a bit yellow. It could do a bit more direct sunlight, but I'm sure it'll be fine. And uh, thank to Q Park for looking after. Yeah. Thanks a million, guys. So there is a place for plastic plants. Then you should bring them that orchid. You should nick that orchid (laughs) that I see outside here. And bring him that. I should as actually. a thank you. Yeah, the plastic one. Yeah. Yeah. We need that though for a prop for something else. I think we don't need it as much as his customers. I did actually feel bad taking it away. I felt like I had to replace it because it looked so jaunty. And he even said, "Yeah, we need one for the corner now." And I was like, "Thanks a million guys." Oh, we have to get him something that will take uh, the aspidistra. Why didn't we give you the aspidistra? It would have been God perfect. Bless you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, because that was the one we smashed and we couldn't return. That was why. Oh, and you haven't paid for it yet? No. Uh, do you know how much it costs? 65 quid. Oh, my God. 
for an aloe vera. That thing costs 65 quid. Yeah. Lads, I'll have to buy a few more coffees. I thought this was just like a tenner or one something. One coffee would do. Yeah, well, one coffee. What's the one that with the beans that the cat shits out that really... Uh, oh, it's in the bucket yeah. list, the isn't it? Coffee yeah, or something. Yeah. Only kings can drink that. So yeah, we'll have one. I actually had it once. My friend brought mm. some back from wherever he was, Thailand or Bali or somewhere like that. And um, it was only okay. I had some But then it gets meant to be great. And it was only okay. Yeah, very disappointing actually. Yeah. But I didn't get Bell's palsy from it, so that was a plus. <laughs> That's the risk. A certain amount of people get Bell's palsy from that catch at coffee bean. <laughs> and, oh God, there's too uh, many questions here. I, yeah, I can't get over our aloe, the adventure it's had. So is it going to make it home Oh, well, I really hope it makes it home today because there's every chance I could do that again. Every chance. Where are you parked? That I could leave it on top of the pastry. Are you pregnant? No, no, no. I just, I have baby, I've always had baby brain, to be honest with you. But, um. Do you do that with your baby? Have you left it behind (laughs) in various car parks? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this is talking bollocks. It's probably... Yeah, we'll cut this. Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith, a Go Loud original. So, our tree hasn't been planted in the garden yet. <laughs> it you is planted. Fa- it's in a pot. You Have you been watering it? I Well, I didn't water it for a week or two now because it's been so wet. Yeah, that's, okay, that's right? absolutely yeah, fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you've been vigilant and looking at it. I would say that now it's not fine <laughs> you have to water your pots even if it's raining now, Arrow, I know go this. way out of that it's been torrentially raining for the last two weeks but you didn't water the you didn't look after the tree you certainly didn't plant it you haven't laid your wildflower meadow yet oh no and I have it's, it's, a, it's a tragic comedy did you not see it on Instagram stories it's I got three poppies out of it shinay and then I had my one and it was like boom yeah, <laughs> and she actually sort of commented, kind of a bit jealous. I think. Well, of, I was a bit like, done? why can't I do that? Why well, does mine look like that? It's like that episode of The Simpsons when Homer tries to build a barbecue and he's <laughs> looking at the box, going, "Oh." Um. Anyway, well, somebody did say to me, I I did try and plant those wildflowers in an area that doesn't get a huge amount of light. Sun, you can yeah, get that's... mixes that are good for that, but you didn't get that mix. You got the general. You know, we love sun mix. As a rule, it's better to put it in a sunny position. Well, what a perfect segue into our wildflower special. Absolutely. So this goes back to this whole thing of what is a weed? Do you know what a weed is? A really ugly looking yolk. Is that like, is this Oxford definition or yeah. is this Aideen Oxford definition? Oh yeah, hundreds. I know what you're going to say. A weed is... A plant that's growing in the wrong place. Something, yeah, lots of variations on that sort of thing. But everybody knows there are good weeds and there are bad weeds and the ugly looking weeds are the bad weeds. Yeah, you could say that. So therefore, wildflower meadows are kind of the good weeds of the garden world. And in effect, that's what all these meadows are. These wildflower meadows were things that people for years and years were trying to get rid of. Farmers spent... No, a huge amount of money and time and effort over generations eradicating all of these, what we now call wildflowers, from their fields of crops and from their fields of grass because they wanted, you know, one plain crop of wheat, one good crop of grass and clover that they could feed their cows with and all of these other things that they would have seen as weeds, we now call wildflowers. And we realised that actually having that mix of things there was so much more beneficial and having all of these wildflowers and all of this nectar source for so many other critters is really important. Beneficial in what way? Because that's what I find really interesting, Paul. Beneficial in a number of different ways. Uh, Pollinators being the big thing. 
I think nearly 30% of the food we eat is pollinated. Our favourite fruits and veg, apples, strawberries, raspberries and more really rely on pollinating to produce a good crop. And bees being the big one, but lots of things are pollinators, even wasps, which not people or not many people are fans are. are and if we didn't have these wildflowers and the bees and the butterflies and the moths and the insects, without them we'd require artificial pollination, which is time consuming, almost impossible to do uh, and very, very costly. You can do it by hand. Uh, often, if you grow a peach in a glass house, because they flower really early in the season, before a lot of these pollinators wake up, you have to get a very soft paintbrush and actually go around thinking like a bee and going from flower to flower to flower to flower to flower to flower to pollinate them. And if we didn't have any bees in existence, if we killed off all the bees and didn't have any food sources for them, that's what would have to be done either manually or using a machine. So they're really important things. And, you know, they're all part of this balance of an ecosystem and they add so many things that we don't realise. And the pollinators which are these creatures like the bees and the butterflies also help to fight against crop pests which are insects that cause damage to crops and plants so without those pollinators carrying out this battle, these battles uh, farmers would have to rely on pesticides even more and we don't want that do we? No, no, we've sort of, we've got over that. We realise now that, you know, uh, there's no need to have so many pesticides. We don't have to cover our crops in all of these things and, well, just not good. And there's also something else. Wildflowers provide our gardens and countryside with a huge amount of beauty and memories that bring back memories of childhood, idyllic summers. And they're just gorgeous to have around, aren't they? Yeah, it's funny. A a cornflower or a cosmos. Now, a cosmos isn't really, it's not a native wildflower, but we want to see that simple flower smiling back at us in gardens on roundabouts, on roadside verges. We always have this kind of idea of, uh, as you would say, a bucolic image of everything being rosy and you know when you're in a meadow in late summer it's absolutely divine uh, and the reality is you have to be you know making stacks of hay and it's horrible hard sweaty work and it's just not nice at all but you know everyone thinks back to their childhood have been this time oh the flowers were me fields were full of flowers and everything was brilliant chances were in your childhood the fields were being sprayed with ddt and the whole place was been ripped asunder but what's that, ddt uh, isn't that that really old chemical that was carcinogenic and in farming in the 1950s, 60s and 70s, I think it was kind of this, you know, if you have a problem, give it DDT. If your child is unwell, you give it DDT. It was a pseudo cream <laughs> for plants. It did, every, did everything for animals, plants, children, the whole lot. The, you know, you cleaned out the house with it. You did everything with this stuff, I think. And when did they figure out it was cancer causing? I think in the 70s and then all of a sudden, a bit like asbestos, overnight it became public enemy number and one. there are still lots of things that are most likely cancer causing that are being used liberally because of uh, the growth in population because of change of diets and because of consumption we want 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 more and we want choices and we want food available to us in the supermarkets every day of the year but there is something else about these wildflowers and there's something else about nature. We dominate nature and we know what a mess we've made of that. We see that with the climate crisis that we're going through at the moment. And we know that each half percent the earth's, uh, earth warms up, the absolute turmoil that that causes. Um, there's all sorts of insects and creatures and animals and plants and viruses and other things on this planet And we don't know with a lot of them how beneficial they can be for the planet in general 
are for us in terms of medicine. And I think wildflowers come into this, native wildflowers come, on, uh, come into this in a big way because many of them will compa- contain compounds used in medicine such as self-heal, which is antibiotic properties, and foxgloves, which contain chemicals used in the treatment of heart disease. They also, also kill you, but some of these compounds, compounds will cure you. So we should protect what we have and we should thread as lightly as as possible, especially as gardeners. And not only should we do that, we should begin to spread this message to other gardeners. There's a big thing about wildflowers at the moment. People love them when they're in flower. But this time of the year, they're going over a little bit. They've done their job. They look untidy. But what is really happening is they're setting seed. And we will talk about seeds very soon because seeds are the most magic things in gardening, aren't they, Paul? They are the best. It is witchcraft, but in real life, I think, seeds. Uh, I was talking about it on the way here today. I really want to get into the whole topic of seeds because uh, they're magical. They really are. And yeah, this whole thing of wildflowers has become a real trend. And in the last year, particularly, you drive around. uh, I've spent more time in Dublin this year than I think I've ever done. And you drive around the suburbs and the county councils are leaving strips. They're leaving them to go into wildflowers. They're purposely putting up signs to say being managed for wildlife. They're planting annual pollinator mixes, which are full of all these lovely colours. And they're not cutting the grass because they have began to realise that number one, it saves them a bit of money because they don't have to go get someone cutting the grass as much every single week. And it's beneficial to pollinators. And it's just something that people have to be sort of educated to. And the more people see it, the more you drive around, the more you see these patches, the more it becomes part of, you know, oh, you know, that's a wildflower patch. That's exactly what it should be. So it's a big subject. And let's go back to the start with it. How do you achieve If I was to go through kind of frequently asked questions about this subject. How do you prune a hydrangea? But no, just about That's wildflowers. That's about the only... Oh yeah, sorry. About wildflowers. It's it's a big topic for people. If I put a picture out of a wildflower meadow on Instagram at the moment, thousands of likes instantly and 300 questions. How do you do this? Do I, what do I do at the end of the year? How do I save seed? Do I feed it? Do I have to dig up the lawn first? All that sort of So let's go back to the very start and let's define what we mean by wildflowers. There are some people on an ultra right wing or ultra left wing who would tell you you should only use native wildflowers. Discuss. Well, we actually did discuss we, this yeah. in episode Have one. you not listened oh. to your own bloody podcast? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, but that was episode one. Yeah, fair enough. Discuss briefly. Okay, well, uh, very simply, uh, native stock, uh, we have very little of our native stock left and, uh, you know, things that are truly native to this island um, in terms of plant species, it's very small because we live on a little island that the glaciers came and uh, the ice age wiped out everything and we've only had our kind of fauna, fauna here, I should say, flora, not fauna. Oh, and then were to all our trees cut down. Yeah, and then all our trees were cut down. So as an island, we are uh, biodiversity kind of barren. Poor. Yeah, it's not barren. It's a desert compared to places like the Middle East and you go to Turkey and around there it's just a biodiversity hotspot in terms of the amount of flora that's native to that area. Literally There's because we were deforested. No, no, no. It's actually One because the, the Ice Age came and yeah. wiped... That's the main... The deforesting only cut down the oak trees. The Ice Age came it's and it took away trees. all of... Yeah, but that's one species. We would have had hundreds and of... And they only planted one species. No, oak trees are the dominant thing. There's a whole story yes, about... Yes, but now the dominant thing is... People. Sitka spruce? No, it's people. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so deep. 
we, we could go back to Sitka spruce because that does get people very exercised. Yeah, they took away the oak, oak trees and then the forestry uh, put in just these dreadful conifers. And there are communities railing against them now. Because how bad they look, the depression that they bring on and how they acidify the land and the waterways. Yeah. Because they're a fast growing tree. Yes. Which commercially does a return easily very uh, farmed and they're growing bad land. They grow around that was Carlo. why they were encouraged to grow them in the 1930s and 40s when the Forestry Commission was set up because we needed to we were the least forested part of Europe for but a while we're, and still are. But we're slow to learn lessons. Yeah. We're very slow to learn lessons because that was the 1930s and 40s and we're still kind of doing that. Yeah, but it's still commercially, you know, cash crops. People can still make money on it and, uh, you know, poor land you plant sick to spruce on and there is still uh, money to be made. And that's why now it's been discouraged and there are more grants available for planting broadleaf and deciduous trees, which are better for wildlife, better for everything. But a lot of our commercial forestry is still sick to spruce and that's always going to be the case, I think. So we do have some lovely native floras and there are parts of the country rich in biodiversity and as Paul will always say if you're to take a handful of soil out of the ground really in any part of this country it's a seed bank it's full of wonderful stuff we were down in Kerry a couple of weeks ago and we saw a native orchid I think we mentioned it here native orchid growing in on an area which had previously been a croquet lawn because it was let to grow so I wouldn't be of the doom and gloom um, end of things because we are aware now and we have a chance to put things right. And one of the ways of putting things right is listening to the land and listening to what it wants to say. If, but you, you need some guidance and you need to do the right thing. So if you're planting a wildflower meadow in a rural place, you should probably use native species. So that oh, you're looking for a response. Um, he's looking at me blankly. He's, he's doing that school teacher thing. Uh, more well, prof- no. This goes back to your garden is a you know it's a man-made idea of what really should yeah, be. Yeah, but there. I'm talking about kind of let's say you had a field in the ass end of nowhere in Carla, and you wanted to plant a wildflower meadow. Don't use Which lots is of imported exactly stuff. Exactly what I've done. Don't use lots of imported. Uh, import stuff native to well, some other place that could take over you have to be careful you have to garden in a responsible way if you're gardening in the suburbs of Dublin in urban areas really do what you want as long as you're not using species uh, that's that are known as no you can't just say because you live in the countryside means you can't grow half the plants that you want to grow if a plant is invasive you shouldn't grow it anywhere non-stop I'm, yeah I agree with that I'm um, giving a kind of guide just a vague guide I know, but you really just, if you want to grow wildflowers, get a pack of wildflowers. The best ones to get, no matter where you live, are always ones of Irish provenance, the ones that have been grown that's in this what country. I, is that what I was saying? You were making it more complicated oh, on, than it needed on. to be. Shh, shh. Ask the guru. So the Irish seed packets will always be native species? No. Oh, well then I don't think that's what you were saying. Oh, right. You were saying yeah. just plant native species. That was more what you, yeah, you need to be very clear with this. You Listen, do. anyone listening, the thing to do if you want to grow a wildflower meadow is to go to a reputable supplier that's supplying things, yes. uh, you know, that are from Irish provenance. Uh, one that we have worked with is Blooming Native. The other um, one, Sandra Cafolo. Sandra Cafolo, which I think they work together. Irishwildflowers.ie. They're the two ones that we both know of here. And I've done a trial with Blooming Native in a meadow in Carlow. Oh, in let's Carlo. talk about that and trial. That's Did you really see his good. reveal? 
I, no, not that reveal. The Did you see his midway through reveal? I think so, because I think that's what made me go, why doesn't mine look like that? No. He brought us out. To a green field. Six weeks and ago. Dermot was he like, said, I want to show you our meadow. This was what we were broadcasting on Instagram. And it was about 10,000 people watching. And he said, I want to show <laughs> you our meadow. There was 100 people watching. Sorry, I did see this. And it was a big letdown for most people because... For everybody. It was a big letdown for this Egypt because he thought, oh, it's going to look whatever. It had only been planted three weeks previously. A meadow doesn't have to yeah, have flowers in it Yeah, but then you built the it up. You built it up to say, I am going to show you the most glorious, I didn't. glorious, I just do what you do floriferous garden. people with And it. he brought people, uh, and it was a lawn. It was like St. Stephen's Green. It was a It was like lawn. a load of dock leaves, basically. And people, That's and he, he got really offended and upset and he went and sat against the wall and he wouldn't talk to us and he, and rightly he, so because he, he was in such a hum- this is what happens gardening doesn't happen or, you know this we gave you're him the a worst second chance He's, and uh, we saw the blooming meadow and it was amazing I got the last laugh because he got to drive a tractor around the meadow destroy the bloody beautiful meadow with this old tractor um, and anyway the peeps want to know how to sow and grow a wildflower meadow in the suburbs and in the country. Will you talk us through that? The way to do it is think as if you're going to sow a lawn and prepare the ground in the very same way you would prepare the ground if you were about to sow a lawn. So you pick a nice, open, sunny position, preferably good, free-draining soil, but preferably not fertile soil. Now, that's complex for most people because you won't know what your soil is like. But if you follow that idea that you're not going to feed anything, that you're going to strip, if there is a lawn there at the moment, that you're going to strip that out. And How do, how do you do that? You can do they two things. Strip the lawn out. You they can dig it over using the Dermot Gavin backbreaking method, or if you have a big patch, you can get a thing called a turf stripper, which takes off the top layer, very thin layer of grass. You can roll it up like you get those roll-out lawns, and you can pile that into a corner of the garden and then you just rake off the ground underneath and plant your seed onto that. But you must make sure there'll probably still be some perennial roots of things like dandelions or whatever. The odd dandelion is okay. But you want to make sure the grass has gone from the top and its root system is gone and the any perennial roots underneath are dug out. And then you prepare it like you prepare a lawn, as, as Paul says, nice, good, firm, tilt seed bed you just sprinkle your wildflower seeds in autumn or in spring or indeed early summer so or indeed midway through summer so you can have a succession of flowering. Question. Mm-hmm. What do you consider summer? There could be a big row over this. Does summer start in May or June in your book? May. Interesting. I would always say That's May. what I would always say as well. Yeah. Because, and actually, we get loads of people going, nah, summer starts in June. I checked with Met Aaron. <laughs> I actually asked them, I cornered Evelyn Cusack in the lift one day and I said, <laughs> Evelyn, I want to know what the story is. Does it Because I was, you know, the whole way through primary school, I was taught summer begins in May, June, July and autumn begins in August. So her answer was. She'd argue with her own shadow, that one. <laughs> well, it was very informative, her answer. It was, if you go by temperature, then Ooh, summer yes. begins in June. If you go by light, Summer begins in May. Summer begins in May, which totally makes sense because everyone knows now it is, you know, the nights are closing in already. So she she didn't give you an answer. No, she did give me an answer. It's both. And also... But it depends on what you go by. And as gardeners, you go by 
the light well, and the calendar. heat. It, it, both, both. both are important. No, but the but other thing is, you cannot garden or farm by because a calendar. It, it just does not. Okay. It's pra- you know to say that you know this month is this or whatever. It really is so variable. You cannot say that's right. On this date, so this many people happen. were disappointed this year because we had really light cold right through May. This is very valuable information. Oh, more no, val- this, no, this is good because I would absolutely go by the calendar. Yeah, no, the calendar, while it's a good guide, it should not be the one thing, the only thing you go by. As gardening, you have to do a Remember, bit of your gut. Remember, the plant is, hasn't looked at the calendar or read the book. The plant hasn't read the book. That's my, he's stolen my only good it saying. It wasn't, you stole it from Rory. It doesn't matter, I stole it from Rory, but I was going to use it. Damn, the plant hasn't read the book, the plant can't like, read the calendar. That's the point. I like my one, the plant hasn't looked at the calendar. Can't look at it, read it, well, how could it? Well, how could it read a bloody book? <laughs> I'm going to go around putting googly eyes on all my plants now so they can look at calendars. Now, So it depends. Yeah. It's intuition and you will build up that knowledge or you will listen to people or you will, you know, understand that it's cold outside just by observing your plants. If buds are coming on and they're getting, you know, killed off by light frost or something like that, you will see in time. But the beauty about these plants, these type of wildflowers, is that the seed is resilient. So even if you plant it now, the little bit of cold, it's going to absolutely love it over winter. And if you plant it now, coming into the autumn, it's going to lie there, but it'll be flowering four weeks ahead of something you plant next spring. And that's the other point, too, with wildflowers. We have this thing that wildflowers have to be, as you say, you know, native wildflowers. But reality is a lot of these wildflowers that we see driving around are not actually native, not wildflowers in the sense that they are wild and they are found in the hedgerows. However, they do serve a function of being open plants that can be easily used by pollinators to take nectar from. They look brilliant. And they don't interfere with anything else. So often they call them annual pollinator mixes. And that basically just means if you want something to look really, really good, you get this mix because it has a few non-natives as well as natives. And that way you get all that impact of colour because the native plants are a bit, you know, wishy. Our native plants aren't the most ornamental or amazing plants because, again, we don't have that diversity. An annual pollinator mix will get you a really good So meadow. what would it have? Things so have like, like cornflowers and, and poppies cornflowers. and cosmos very often and they would have things like uh, the marigolds, the uh, corn crackle, and all those easy... all of these plants have in common is that they're nice and bright and showy but they have open flowers and those open flowers, those petals like a child might draw if they were drawing a, a flower make it very easy for the insects or for the bees or the butterflies to access the, the pollen. Yeah. Yeah, and the whole thing is, look at your site. If you have a place and you want to be very, you know, strict about only growing native plants, then yes, get a traditional Irish meadow mix that only has native things. If you want to go and grow something only for bees and butterflies, you can get mixes just for them, and they're specifically mixes that will have the things that really attract them. Uh, If you have a shady spot, go for the actual mix that will grow in the shade. It won't be a showy, but it will actually grow there because these things don't like growing. Look at your area, and if you just want it to be an amazing, absolutely Willy Wonka, fantastical display, go for the annual mix. It has a bit of everything. Thing and you will get the impact that you want because so gardening is about impact and you don't want you to do What you can do there, Aideen, is you can go into our shop and you can buy a box of this seed and it'll cover, it'll cost you 25 quid and it'll cover 16 square metres. So most suburban front gardens, something like that, you would produce the most beautiful display. And if you were doing that and just stripping off the lawn and sowing directly, it's so easy. It'll work and it'll work if it's in an open sunny position and it gets the amount of rain, which it always will in this country or in Britain, it'll do very well. It'll do very well for one year. Meadows, however, and meadow gardening is a more challenging thing 
because that is a management issue and having a routine in place. So what you want to do in that sort of situation is choose your seeds very carefully and sometimes not go for such showy plants, but plants that are high in pollen that are good for the area that you, and the soil type that you're gardening in. But the big thing about it is every year you want to reduce the fertility of the ground. And that means removing all organic matter. So removing the roots, the stem, the leaves and the flower of last year's. Wow, that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I think you need to treat these things in suburban settings as kind of like bedding plants. So, you know, the way back in the day you'd put out your bedding plants along the edge of your garden path or whatever, and they'd look fantastic. Treat those areas now with these mixes of really fab looking plants that flower for months and months and every year re-sow them. Because if you want to try and manage a wildflower meadow, that's a dark art in itself. And to manage a proper thing is complicated. And even, you know, we get stuck on it. It's it not is easy complicated to do. and it'll never give you exactly what you plan because a number of species will become dominant the second year and certainly the third year. And it might look beautiful, but it might not be what you plan to do. You have places, gardens like Great Dixter in England, where they have beautiful meadow gardens, but they have people whose only job it is to look after, understand the soil and look after those areas and know exactly when to get the side out to take away the the growth, know exactly when the seeds fall, know exactly if grass is getting too vigorous to plant the yellow rattle to diminish the growth of the, of the grass. So I think from the point of view of the Dirt podcast, Paul is right. Keep it simple and go for that wildflower mix. Go but out there, get your impact, and then you might get hooked and you might think, oh, maybe I should try and make this an annual thing and maybe, you know, research and then a bit more. So research, get into study and talk to people like Sandra Cofola or Julie at, or Peter at Blooming Native because they will uh, analyse your soil, let you know about the climatic conditions that you have, let you know what grows well in your area. And there's another whole thing too. It's not only about what you sow. It's about what is in that seed bank too. Because the surprises that come up in a wildflower meadow are really the joys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the ground is full of seeds from years and years. Uh, docks, I think, can last on the ground for up to 70 years. I know docks aren't what you want in a wildflower meadow, but uh, you will be amazed at what seed bank is already in the ground. So, to recap. Yes. Are we totally and utterly confusing you? No, 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 no. I just want to go over okay. it again just to get it straight <laughs> in my head. So you want to, if you're in a rural setting, maybe buy a box of native species uh, mix. And if you're in a suburban garden or a, an urban plot. I would it. say don't buy a box. I would say buy a bag. And I would say buy a bag from a reputable producer from whatever country you're living in or from the area of the very big country you're living in, the area of that country. So get somebody, get advice if you're in a rural area from somebody who knows. I don't want some of these other imported seeds escaping into because there's been that whole thing of the Chinese seeds coming in in envelopes and God knows what people would be planting. And it's not a good idea. So know what you're planting, get advice if you're in a rural area and the seeds can easily escape out into a woodland, out into a natural meadow, uh, out into a watercourse or, or something like that, and they can be propagated or, or, or whatever. So take advice if you're in a rural area, especially if you're planting a large amount in the areas that most people garden, which is ordinary, bog standard gardens. I would do what Paul says. 
Okay, so you have your mix. Mm -hmm. You'll need a mix that can either grow. In my case, I obviously got the wrong one because nothing's growing. <laughs> nothing's growing right. No, so you I want don't a shaded think. Mix? I think they got the wrong gardener. I don't think you got the wrong mix. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, and it's a funny. You know, it can be and not pricey, but you do get what you pay for. So do go. You know, get decent mixes, and uh, sometimes they give you kind of sparse sowing rates. But if you sow it a little more densely than they recommend, you'll get the impact. Oh, uh, this was very dense. I mean, this is a very small patch. I did buy the box in that garden center that you say is the IKEA of garden centers. So maybe that. No, it, it'll be, be the good. same box yeah. that we sell. So okay. it's not the fault. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. Establish that it's my fault. Right. It's not your fault. No, I did no research. So, you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. Okay. So I got the, I got that bit wrong. Right. Next year, we'll make sure you're, make sure that yours is fabulous and we'll try to follow that. Okay. I, ha- there, I yeah. have some. Uh, we have to go to Aideen's garden to we, we judge it. We do. Well, to see the tree, to visit the tree, to <laughs> give it a drink, to give it pay, pay our final respects to the tree. Yeah. It's a bit like Brian Keenan in a cell in Beirut at the moment. I know it's chained to a radiator. <laughs> I have to say, before we go any further, we met somebody on the way in here today who told us that gardening is a scam. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he claims that the whole thing is a money-making racket. And he has a point. Because yeah. you can't just go and do it. Yeah, we're like, oh, how hard can it be? Well, actually, if you don't have a spade or a shed or, shovel, or a, a lawnmower or, or a thingy uh, and you don't know how uh, to yeah. dig it. And yeah, he it's says actually, it's a money-making scam. Yeah, he's dead right. He's what are we doing it for? We do need to come back to that because actually that's the point I've been trying to make for weeks and uh, it took himself to, to point it out. But anyway. All right. Are you saying that we're making this too easy? No, I mean, I'm just saying you say it's very easy and so far I have not found it easy at all. But well, I, I, you I accept that if you're it's... leaving aloes in car parks. <laughs> touche. And you think a well, place to uh, plant a cacti garden is in a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but back to the seeds. You've done your research bought your mix then you take off the top layer of whatever is there Mm -hmm. you sow your mix you rake it you rake it you rake it to a kind of a tilt which is basically just a crumbly soil you scatter your seed onto that you give it another rake to kind of bury the seeds a little bit you can stamp on it to kind of compress the seeds in or roll it if you have a roller and then you wait you pour yourself a drink you pour yourself a drink you sit back and for eight weeks, you don't have to... Actually, for the rest of the summer, you don't have to do anything until you, if you decide to cut it when it's finished flowering, but that's not until the end of the summer. All you have to do, sit back, relax and enjoy. That is the beauty of it. I planted my meadow, I think, mid-May, and it's looking absolutely fabulous. Now it has been for the last four, five, six weeks even, and I haven't actually lifted a finger. Okay, there was a lot of work to get it sown, but I haven't I done a thing he since. Didn't. He didn't. None of this is true. So we went oh, to broadcast... Sake. And it's on my Instagram. You'll find it on the IGTV. We went to broadcast the reveal of his wildflower. Which was an outstanding success, I have to say. And it (laughs) looked fantastic. And there was a quaint old tractor there. And he had James Harry. The vets were all in. The cattle were running in the field. The colour was fantastic. And technically, it seemed great. And I brought an apple tart. So it was bucolic, the whole whole thing. And I knew there was going to be a good cup of tea and, and what was even better was internet coverage was good so we could broadcast clearly to everybody From a field in Carlo and his mum and dad were there uh, fussing around the place and it was all lovely and we did our broadcast we wore silly hats I learned how to drive the tractor back and forward back and forward the music was very good and the audience was really appreciative I stopped broadcasting after an hour we played Bucks Fizz everything going great 
And then his dad came. I've been watching that, Paul. First of all, this isn't your garden. Him saying he did it. <laughs> and secondly, you didn't do any of this. I did it. <laughs> I had to go back to start the broadcast again and just say, he didn't do any of it and it wasn't his garden. Paul! It wasn't my dad's garden either. We were both trespassing. <laughs> and then we, even better, we trespassed into the house whose and garden. It and wasn't had, him. It wasn't me, no. Then we went to the house and we stole tea. And you had house. kind of told me this. You told me, actually, my dad is really getting it. He did feck all. Yeah, well, well, I was away on holidays for a week <laughs> and I was getting photographs because at that time the medal was looking really, really good. And my dad was sending photos every couple of days because he was like, oh, this isn't looking too bad. And yeah, he did cut the grass and he looked after it and he did all those other things that you have to do. I, I had paths through my meadow, I have to explain, because a cut path through a meadow can be a really lovely it thing. It wasn't your meadow. They're not your path. The meadow is mine. The seeds were. No, no. The, the seeds belong to a seed company called Blooming Native. Oh yeah, yeah. They weren't mine. Um, the no, the land. Yeah, I was there though. God, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you could go into politics, you know, taking credit for all these things that you know weren't actually yours. Yeah, I mean, I literally. When you think about it, I have absolutely no claim over that place at all. <laughs> And we even we had tea afterwards in the house that didn't belong to any of us there. And, and I brought the apple tart. And, and you was br- it your tea? No, no, it was the house owner's tea. It wasn't Good anything God. to do with any of us. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> is dishing to dirt. <laughs> dirt, a go loud original. One really important thing at the moment. We were in some old Biddy's house uh, a couple of weeks ago and she was complaining about the council not cutting the verges and they were a disgrace and whatever. <laughs> Sure. I know, but and the it, it was in Clontarf. Oh, you're such a spoofer! <laughs> and I was saying, no, this is really important. What the council are doing is really brilliant because they are appreciating the need for some biodiversity, even on the roundabouts, even in the central reservation of the thing, and. What we should be doing is saying, well done to the council, well done to Trinity College, well done to Paul's dad for this. But those areas of plantations will look a mess at this time of the year. They need to, to look a mess. So if you hear anybody in your environment saying, oh God, this is awful because nobody's looking after the weeds or whatever, if you could explain to them, this is so those plants can set seed, and there's a new system. It's not all about keeping things neat and tidy anymore. So the new normal will be things looking rough around the edges, gardens looking rough around the edges. And that will be beneficial to our environment, not only our ideas of what a garden is or what green spaces should or can be. Do you think it'll be a long time before people can, you know, the way our grandparents will say would look at how we turn ourselves out today and go, well, I'd never wear jeans into the office, you know, and will it take a long time? And wearing a first, no, you know, I think that. it's happening yeah. very fast. We've been ourselves amazed at how fast. Now, I hope it's not just a fetish at the moment that people like these is a, a, a trend for wildflower gardening. But I think there is a change in how people perceive or how we curate garden spaces, areas that we plant. I think there is an understanding that we have to do the right thing and that we haven't been doing the right thing. As gardeners, bluntly, none of us have been doing, very few of us have been doing the right thing. The right thing isn't 
a judgment in terms of prettiness, in terms of skills. It's the moral right thing, how we treat our soil, what we plant in it, and how we consider everything else that lives in this environment as well as our, uh, 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 as well as ourselves, along with ourselves. Yeah, I think as gardeners, we're probably a little bit, you know, we're tunnel visioned by this. We see wildflower meadows all the time and we'll notice them probably more than anyone else because we're clued into it. And I guess we in some ways have rose tinted glasses thinking, oh, everyone's going to catch on to this and it's going to be great. And it looks as though people are. And as Dermot said, I hope it's not just a phase or a fetish or whatever, that it will really catch on. But a few weeks back, I was working over in Hote and uh, my cousin came over to give a hand one of the days and he drove up past parts of... In a tractor. It was a jeep. Um... Well, actually, anyway, he drove up past parts of North County Dublin and along the verges, there was lots of wildflowers. And at that particular time, they were looking their absolute best. And he said it to me, he lives down in Cork. And he said it to me afterwards, like, oh, I must get you a bit of advice about, you know, doing some of those mixes because he said they looked really fantastic. And I didn't. uh, Now, obviously, I'm a gardener, so he would say that to me more than he would say that to anyone else. But he was the one who spurred that conversation. He said, oh, I want to find out how to do that because it looks so good. It looks brilliant. He said there's an area out by the front of the estate that he lives in in Cork. And it's an area where there's a good wide footpath and people just go in and they let the dogs crap on this bit of grass. So he said, if we could fill it with wildflowers, then they won't be able to do that as easily and it will look great. And he said, you know, it won't look great all the year round, but at least it'll look good for a couple of months of the summer and it will, you know, lick and make a bit of an effort and as if somebody is trying to do something. So, yeah, it's about educating people. The other thing is putting up those signs that you see everywhere saying manage for wildlife. So people realise, oh, they're not just letting the place go to rack and ruin. They're actually doing this purposely. And all of a sudden it's kind of forgiven or at least that, what's it, that's what it should be. I you know, need one of those given. signs for our garden, our front garden, because <laughs> definitely the neighbours do not think that Manage we are. for wildlife. Yeah, yeah. we should do a range of them, actually. But yeah, I yeah. have a, an elderly neighbour who lives across the road. I see him coming out with his little, like he has his lawn so perfectly manicured and his pots are perfect. And I see him coming out with a little spray gun of know, weed killer poisons. and stuff. Killing off it like daisies. I'm, I'm just thinking, why would you do that? Like daisies are great. Because it's, a generational it thing. is and but like I'm not sure it will I'm not sure people will come around to the idea of places looking unkempt that quickly yeah it's going to take time it's and they're going to protest time, and people will be like but you know as we've all said the world is in crisis we're in a climate crisis and this is just one small thing that we can and all do and it is the only way to go so there's no argument against it and it's a very uh palpable thing you can see it happening it's in front of your eyes this area is wildflowers and it's happening because we need to really cotton on and there's so many other things we need to do but this is just one small thing that we can all you know at least help with I guess Dirt with Dermot Gavin and Paul Smith a Go Loud original That was great really enjoyed that Yeah it's nice to talk about it and bash out ideas I think I might have even learned something Next week quite a different programme we're planning to chat about gardening as political protests. Yeah, and how, I mean, how do we even begin that? But well, it's based on the concept of the... Wait, hold on, no, join in next week and you'll find <laughs> all about it. <laughs> Can I say Melania Trump in the White House? Just about. See you then.